Today is April 1st, 2022. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Megoche, Chestokom, Aki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Blackfoot South south of the imposed US and Canadian border are the Blackfeet and north of the border are the Siksika, Gunai and Bogani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7 signed September 22nd, 1877 with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley Chiniki Bears Paw Nations of the Stoney and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born here in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene. Oh, so yesterday I got my hand slapped. I'll tell you all about it in a minute. Uh, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian. I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people. And as my uh, Dene elder taught me last night, I should be saying Great Lake Bear, or sorry, Great Bear Lake tribe in Treaty 11. Um, and he, he said how to say Satu Tine. That's what I am. Um, I'm a native to Turtle Island. My Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Pincho Tine Indahe. He said, Yes, you said it right, but you don't have the right clicks where they're supposed to be. In Dene, meaning many horse town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as the uninvited guest and acknowledging our role as treaty partners. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders, Dene elders, as and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share what I know as I walk down my red road. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to the previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or your questions. Also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can subscribe and you can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And lastly, my native YYC Insta was hacked and I apologize to anybody who I guess got um, these private messages from me and then your Instagram got hacked. My deepest apologies. It's been a heck of a last couple of weeks. But with that, I'm still going to move on to today. We have two wonderful guests on Native Calgarian. I'm so excited for you both to be here. So maybe we'll start with Danielle and then Valerie, if you'd like to introduce yourselves. Thank you so much, Michelle, and what a fantastic introduction. I'm grateful for being here. Um, my name is Danielle Dion. I am here on the treaty uh, territory of the Tawasan Nation. 
um, home of the Semiamu people. And I'm grateful for their nurturing of the land. And also I believe in their truth. Uh, all of my work is about uh, reducing violence for children. I do that in my full-time job as a parenting interventionist and also um, in my learning, doing my master's on justice with a focus on indigeneity, that word gets me every time, justice and parenting and discipline. And also in my volunteer time as an activist with No Violence for Kids Canada and my role there is just to raise public awareness and support of incredible scholars and academics who already know that physical discipline harms kids. So that's what I do and that's who I am. Oh, thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Uh, Valerie, would you like to introduce yourself? Oh, thanks so much. I feel so honored to be in this conversation with two such amazing women. Um, my name is Valerie Michelson. My pronouns are she and her. And I am a settler to Canada over many generations. I was born on colonized land and I grew up on the traditional territory of the one of the First Nations in Northern Ontario. I'm currently a, an assistant professor in health sciences at Brock University. And here I am very grateful to live and work and play and dream on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. And I'm also grateful that I have had some life transforming opportunities to learn from elders and knowledge keepers that the land that I'm on now is, is covered by the dish with one spoon wampum agreement and that teaching has motivated me and inspired me and challenged me to try to live into the spirit of that agreement with my life and my researching and my relationships so um, here I am ever increasingly aware of the complexity of engaging with reconciliation in terms of overarching issues of decolonization and land claims and structural justice and and to do that through my own position as a white settler on Turtle Island and realizing how much I and my ancestors have benefited from our inherited colonial world and I was talking about this with um, my dad and my daughter the other day just realizing we can trace the benefits of colonialism as much as we're trying to push against it and crack it open. And I don't have answers to that, but I don't wanna be afraid of those discussions. And because this, this colonial inherited world that we're all dwelling in has benefited some and marginalized and oppressed many others. So these are questions that I live in. And I think like, what does it mean for me to be responsible and be a reciprocal partner in relationships with indigenous peoples and work towards reconciliation, not just at a superficial level of, oh, I'm so sorry, <laughs> sorry, not sorry, but to live into relationships characterized by re reconciliation and justice. Mm -hmm. So this is where my life, but it's also my academic home in the health sciences. So my research is on the social dimensions of health and health equity. So that's where I research and teach. And in particular, I focus on the health of children. And one of the things that I care about most in my, in my research and my teaching is in the area of child violence and the way that we socially normalize violence against children. And so decolonial thinking has seriously informed my research and my life and the way I understand these issues. 
And um, I should also mention, I have three children of my own that have challenged me to try to be part of building a better world in some what using whatever position I can. So it's really complicated for me, but I'm, I'm very grateful to be part of these conversations. And I just thank you for, for having us here to talk with you and, and learn together about some things that we all really care about. Well, you know, I'm a big believer that our people have done their work. I'm a big believer that they've said in the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, in the National Inquiry, here's your here's your stuff to do, settlers. And um, you know, we're not going to get anywhere if we don't start working with settlers that are like-minded and and see their responsibility. And so, um, it was a random tweet that brought us all together. A random tweet, and when. When I see settlers that understand the gravity of it, like you, you look at Jody Wilson Rainbow and what happened nationally with her position within the federal government, like I cried like a baby that day that she was, um, you know, named cabinet justice minister, because I thought here we're finally going to get some stuff done. And knowing now the barriers that she had faced um, after so many other barriers to actually be in the position that she was in. Um, and I haven't even read her book yet. Like, I can't wait to read that book and, and read from her point of view, um, the barriers that she encountered. And, you know, I ran twice and I know the barriers that I encountered and, you know, that there is still such a huge canyon gap between Canadians understanding of oppression dynamics and the barriers that of racism, bias, sexism. I just, I have an appointment this afternoon to get a sleep apnea machine. And um, the lady almost implied it was somehow my fault. Sexism was in the Indian Act. Like I couldn't believe the way she had framed that. So the, like the huge gap that's between indigenous understanding and Canadian understanding is so vast. So um, one of the things that I thought just um, the justice minister would be able to do right now is, is stop um, teachers, parents, um, everybody from being able to hit children. Like it's such a simple concept, but it's embedded in the criminal code. So it, it, this random tweet is what brought us together about, hey, there are settlers that think that's wrong too. <laughs> I'm like, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we're working on it. So, so I wanted to ask Danielle, well, like, what is it you're working on, and 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 uh, to kind of expand a bit on that, and and then uh, we'll bring Valerie in. Don't hesitate to jump in, and just uh, talk about the work you're working on right now. Oh, yeah, it was a random tweet. I think I hashtag repeal forty three on every tweet I tweet. So. Um, for those people that are listening, um, there is a criminal sanction in our criminal code in Canada. It is section 43 of the criminal code, which gives reasonability to discipline with force. Um, in the, on the website of our, of the Justice Canada website, it actually says slapping, kicking, pinching. Um, and there's way more words than that even that are pretty harmful, may be considered an abuse. So on children. So we are far behind in Canada. And we recognize that um, with this sanction, Section 43, which was written in 1892, um, we imagine what was going on in Canada during those times and who might have been, you know, leading that kind of law, you know, um, just recognizing how 
in the history, um, we are um, written in our laws still by col colonialists, by you know the Christian movement that took over Canada and many other um, wonderful nations that were doing fine. Um, and so hitting kids, kids were seen as chattels and um, still are in many conversations in my work um, online and bringing public awareness and even in my day-to-day -day job when I work face-to-face -face with parents, well, in telehealth, mind you, um, it is a challenge to recognize the difference between discipline and punishment. What we know now in science, what we know around learning theory, what we know around children's rights and human rights is just not the same thing. And um, punishment and violence hurts kids. That's just the bottom line. So there's no normal, as Valerie would say, in violence. And um, so in order for what I do particularly, I work with parents directly to help them understand that difference and define um, ethical, safe, and supportive ways to parent and to discipline because peace is not passive. Kids do need limits. Yet at the same time, it's hard to understand how to discipline um, nowadays since we all grew up in a world of punishment. That was the theory, that's kind of the philosophy that the world has been, you know, set in. So understanding our history is really important to helping parents um, be cycle breakers of that. And especially recognizing um, the voice of Indigenous people and their sacred laws and recognizing, yeah, these first people stood up for this and the calls to action show it. So section 43 is called to action six in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report. And um, seeing that in 2015 when it came out, I mean, I was thrilled because already I was uh, working with families in trying to um, help them understand that there's a difference between punishment and discipline, seeing the TRC stand up for that. And then just the, you know, in the last 10 years, the plethora mountains of research that shows violent discipline harms kids and the negative outcomes long-term are much of why I would say in the news, the violence we see. Well, right? actually so, just to interject right there, like I, I work with folks in their recovery and their sobriety. And I like, it's just story after story. My husband does another podcast and it's about people's sobriety and the trauma that they basically in endured as children that is causing their um, issues of, of addiction because, you know, you, you have to cope. And, you know, even our elders talk about a lot of the so-called mental illnesses are are really just trauma responses to uh, the trauma that we've we've endured as children and now moving forward. So, um, you know, I, I just couldn't agree with everything more than what you said. Childhood trauma has such long lasting impacts. And I it is shocking to me that Canadian public and media, they don't talk about this. I mean, you want to talk about so I'm born and raised in Alberta, so all they care about is money. So, you know, I, how I speak to Albertans has absolutely nothing to do with morals, values, anything, because they can't understand that. That's like incomprehensible to them. Really? All they care about is money. So if all you care about is money, it, if you want to save money, then stop the trauma. And well, then and you're saving us. yourself in mental health and physical health and uh, ER visits and homelessness and um, all of the first responders that have to deal with the constant um, crises that are are ongoing from childhood trauma that are completely preventable, you know, like it, this is such easy, easy conversation to have. But I also live in a place that 
they don't believe in science so it's very problematic so, so. true and our bureaucracy is really based on prescription and band-aids right so there's lots of money made in those cycles and i would say that is also due to colonialism. So just recognizing neoliberalism and how you know, we are forced to think of ourselves as individuals and there isn't this connective care in our policy. Um, that's a real concern. And I think that goes back to you know, the TRC when we look at the, the calls to action as a whole, we recognize just the community um, responsibility and I think that's really what re reconciliation means for me is seeing, hold on, like oppression is all of us. And it comes from the, the top down and the way that we grew up in Canada now and our history that brought this here. But, you know, our systems are really, really stuck in a, a like a prescriptive um, system. And in order to change that, we need to recognize that we are all responsible. And childhood trauma is the base of most of the social justice issues that I see now. That's my perspective anyway. I see, you know, even the Will Smith thing the other day, I'm like, was he smacked as a child? Like, he was. this is what I'm, you know, <laughs> my head, right? So. I'm so glad you brought that up, but I, I definitely want to bring Valerie into this conversation. Honestly, I wish everyone knew what you guys sacrificed in order to be here today. So thank you. And, and Valerie, I'd love for you to take the floor for a bit. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I love this. Like, there's so many dimensions of this issue, right? Mm -hmm. And um, the real kind of person who brought this home for me as a reconciliation issue was when Murray Sinclair was a senator. So at that time, Senator Murray Sinclair, when he proposed this, to um, the Canadian Senate, right? And, and all of us who really care profoundly about this issue were like, Murray Sinclair is one of the most intelligent seasoned leaders in all of flipping Canada. Like if he can't get this through, like it's gonna go through now. And it didn't. And, and at that point, I thought this is an act of reconciliation and it moved beyond because it's, it's been in my mind an act of child health for a long time. And I love how you both brought in the science and um, I can't resist saying that there are hundreds of studies that show that corporal punishment predicts solely negative outcomes, mental health problems, substance use, suicide yes. ideation, depression, anxiety, intergenerational transmission of violence. This idea that um, problems can be solved through violence is submitted intergenerationally. Um, and one piece I think it's really needs more animation in the in this discussion and in this advocacy is that all oppressions are interconnected, right? Like we go in at one and if, like we're tugging the strand we're pulling at is connected to all the others. And um, one of, the, one of the thing connections that I, I think is important to make is how gendered this can be. So um, violence in, in childhood impacts all children badly, puts all children at risk. And, but it is gendered. And I, I wanna highlight that there's a recent report by UNICEF that I have, um, have a lot of respect for that talks about, um, it focuses specifically on girls and we need to talk about non-binary children and boys. Corporal punishment is abuse and it harms all children. But what the UNICEF report says is that it's, it provides a means to control girls' social and sexual behavior, instill 
deference, submission, and timidity, and reinforce traditional ideals about femininity and girlhood. Children who experience corporal punishment are at greater risk of experiencing domestic violence as adults, mm -hmm. as victims, or perpetrators, right? So we get into patterns that we're going to become perpetrators of violence, but we also normalize the pattern that it's normal for us to be victims of, of violence from people who are supposed to love us, right? And so I think there's so much work, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that my career focuses on preventing normalized violence in all situations. And I, I think that this ties deeply into um, the colonial messages that were imported to this land over centuries. And some of my own work has looked, we can talk about it if this you're interested in how um, that Christian ideological pretext of the doctrine of discovery and um, what I often paraphrase from biblical texts, spare the rod and spoil the child, as this is a normal way of bringing up children that we saw this normalization of violence through all of the inter um, the residential schools and across this land and through all colonized countries. And it, it's got to end and we have to name it. And I, I you know, we, we were all attentive to this maybe the day that I woke up this morning and checked Twitter and Tanya Talega had tweeted, okay, Pope Francis might be apologizing. And I was like, okay, what's gonna happen here? Is this a real apology? Because if we're apologizing over here, but still expanding the ideologies and messages that foster colonial oppressions, then what does it actually mean? So what kind of world are we creating? And I, you know, and as somebody who's been deeply, not as a Catholic, but deeply embedded in the Anglican and United Churches my whole life, I'm really attentive to the role that my people have played in creating the normalization of violence here. And um, when I heard that apology, I thought, okay, nice, nice start, but where are we going with this? Because to try to get um, churches and other people on faith on board saying, you know, our messages caused this, created this problem, and not just in the past, are continuing persistently to normalize violence against children. Like, what game are we playing at? It's been, sometimes it's felt like trying to pull the Titanic up. It's like, where are we going with this? So that's a long way of saying, you know, there's so much evidence here, but it's, it doesn't seem to be making the change that needs to be happening. And I think it connects into how we socially normalize all kinds of destructive things, including our place on the land and our role as, um, you know, our, our, some of our gendered oppressions. I think they're all interconnected, but the normalization of violence in what we call Canada is a big one. And until we're willing to undo some of these things at a structural level, I, I feel like, like, are we really, where's the action in, in what we're saying? So that's, um, I'm grateful to Senator Sinclair. Um, I, th I think he's, from reading some of what he's written after, I think he might be glad to have left being a Senator behind, but I still think of him in that role because he made such a powerful, his speeches in the Senate really made me say, yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that before, but this call to action, what we've been working in child violence for decades on, this is also an act of reconciliation at one of those deep 
structural levels that will bring about not just kind of surface level change, but policy and structural change in Canada. So I feel very grateful for his role in this. And uh, I'm gonna turn it back to you folks. Yeah, um, you know, you brought up so many good things. And uh, so yesterday was the uh, International Day of Trans Visibility. And um, I think it's really important that we talk about, as you were saying, the gendered violence. Um, you know, when Christianity imposed themselves on these lands, they, a really great book is called The Importance of Monogamy that really broke down how it was gendered violence and even how they colonized so that only the rich white male would be able to um, own land and therefore vote. And um, the Indian Act was purposely set up uh, with a sexist bias. Mm. Um, and But that also even bigger picture is that prior to colonization and newcomers coming here, um, you know, that bigger picture that non-binary and two-spirit and gender fluidity was quite normal here. And it was this straight agenda that was imposed on our people. But with that straight agenda came so much structural policy damage of violence against women, violence against LGBTQ2+, like this is really problematic when it comes to the issues that we're facing today and the violence against um, you know, those who are who are struggling with their sexuality. You know, when as a straight cis person, I have no skin in the game to be talking about that other than the violence I perpetuate by saying I'm straight and cis. Um, you know, and, and then those who are struggling with their identity, their sexual identity, um, and then knowing intergenerationally for thousands of years, it was quite normalized to be non-binary or to take on so-called male or female roles in our culture, and then trying to fit within the Western paradigm and it's not fitting, you know, that, that, that is a huge amount of violence that we have to think about. And we're not even talking about hitting a child at this point, we're not talking about taking it away from its family. You know, it, there's that whole bigger picture of violence. And it, it's important to also acknowledge today is Willie, uh, William, or William, uh, Wilton Littlechild's birthday, uh, another one of the commissioners, but also such a strong leader that comes from Alberta, from this area. Uh, he's a Treaty 6 uh, Cree. And, uh, and so there's three main influential people that I think about when talking about truth and reconciliation. And I think about Phil Fontaine and him mm -hmm. being brave enough talking about his story publicly. Mm -hmm. Wilton Littlechild and Murray Sinclair talking about their experiences, but then using their law background to um, accelerate positive colonial changes for our people and uh, try to educate non-Indigenous. It, it's really unfortunate that, you know, um, Canada cannot see women as the stronger of the leaders because that, that again is that gendered violence that was perpetrated mm -hmm. here that we had, you know, the matriarchs um, trying to lead the discussions and the um, European centric folks being like, we don't talk to women because we, we beat our women, you know, so there's just such two incredible worlds colliding together. And now our women are so marginalized. And ironically, they are our leaders. So, you know, this is, this is the gendered violence of colonialism that has just been you know, not just perpetrated, but then, you know, policy after policy after policy. Um, we're celebrating it as a win. My daughter's going to get her status, but 
the reason why we're doing it is to honor all of those that fought so hard for her to get it not because we believe in it we believe in our inherent rights to you know be caretakers of these lands and etc cetera, etc cetera, but we just have inherent rights and canada and their law and the european set like all of this was brought over and they still don't want to recognize all of this so like there's so many levels to talk about the gendered violence that's so structural being imposed and then of course our child rearing being so different um and that childhood trauma now being perpetuated because of indian residential schools and social workers scooping our children um so so long-standing these problems and if you read the trc the full volumes they very clearly laid out how the structure of child welfare was created in order to apprehend children and although it was it begun in the 60s it continues today so we have so much to undo so yeah. much because of this ridiculous um uh gendered policy that was imposed racist gendered policy racist <laughs> yeah yeah Egypt, racist and yeah. violent gendered policy you know it's a good thing that you're mentioning um just this, this, where the social worker field is now. And um, I've had parents tell me that the new residential school system is the social worker world. So our social system, you know, and finding ways around that. But again, you know, you have the big payouts and um, Cindy Blackstock is a hero of mine for sure. And recognizing Jordan's principle and how slow that implementation has been happening, if at all, like it, it's an incredible, um, you know, there's a lot of talk and posturing and uh, performance that performative uh, talks and 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 um, show ups and um, even you see it in you know legislation can be changed, but I, I wonder once we even change something like section 43 and we get the repeal right we have this and then what right and i think that's where i want to really keep looking forward is what then and how does legislation actually change the values and the behavior of citizens and recognizing that is so important um yeah i just noticed my battery is going low so i'm going to dip out for a quick second <laughs> yeah. i'm really glad you said that too danielle like it's not like to me, call to action six and repealing section 43 and providing children with the same legal protection from violence is taken for granted by mm -hmm. every other person in the country, including pets. Is like that's a like that's a low bar. <laughs> like if we're concerned about that, that's just a starting place to creating an equitable society where all children have equal opportunities to flourish equal access to health promoting resources like the social determinants of health equal access to the healthcare system like the fact that we even need to have a jordan's principle like i'm glad we do but like how messed up is that that we need to even have a conversation about do we take care of these children because they're first nation on reserve or not like what a messed up conversation to have right we have to. <laughs> i know a lot of indigenous talk about um you know the unresolved conversation that needs to happen about indian hospitals and how that you know racist healthcare is rooted there so like i i couldn't agree more with what you're saying and that it's again this whole structure that was imposed in order to keep natives separate from the um uh, white people like it there, there's so much racism and it's a part of our history, but we just gloss over it and just like that. And and that is all of it. That that's that if we don't address this truth, if we don't address what's going on, 
then we cannot under any circumstances be able to start reconciling it you know and and we're we still have people here in calgary that are so-called conservative think tanks etc and they still deny that indian residential schools happened and their main talking point right now is well nobody's done any of these graves yet and so we actually don't know and that that's actually not even true um here in calgary alone when we had the flood in uh, 2013 a bunch of the graves were actually exposed because of uh they were close to the bank and they had to relocate some of those graves so like they like their own talking point doesn't even make sense but when you're so committed to colonialism and hate like they just hate indigenous people like with every being of their soul because they we represent so much of this truth that they don't want to discuss and they would rather us die than discuss that truth and can you imagine being surrounded with neighbors that hate you so much and that's just my daily reality i hear you michelle actually growing up it just reminded me what you said there for me, um, growing up as a young white girl in a privileged world, um, I had no idea the story my dad had in the church as a Roman Catholic all boys school um, person at the time he was an addict and, you know, um, really violent in his world and abusive to me too. And it wasn't until later on in his life that I recognized his abuse, but I used to be told, you know, um, to when I wasn't behaved that I would be sold to Indians. So we're gonna sell you to the Indians. That was what was told to me. And I just remember the fear, right? I had the vision of being tied to a tree with fires underneath me, you know, and, you know, feathers dancing around me, like the, the, the traditional scary, you know, what was imposed on us is scary. Now I'm like, I, the view I have is like, let's go, right? Like, can I get out of this colonial world? Please adopt you know? me. Yeah. Why wasn't I ever sold for, for darn sakes? But yeah, it's important that we recognize, you know, how did we get there and why is there, there this hate? Because even in the work that I have now, I hear it, you know, and it's incredible the racism that is still embedded, you know, still, you know, ride driving by in a pickup truck in the back of, you know, my dad's truck going through the forest roads in BC and coming by a reserve and my parents would comment, oh, look at how they don't take care of their houses. These are the comments that I remember growing up. So, and I think that a lot of folks might resonate with that, right? And it's still happening today. So racism is rampant. It's, it's awful. And then you, you can just look at the recent, like, just open the news and you can see. Yes, yeah, for sure. It, it, it makes my, my stomach sick thinking about how the injustices um, here, we have a, um, a family, the English family and and I, I think of Joey English, this beautiful person who, you know, had children, was loved by her community, her mom, her grandmother, I've, I've been, you know, getting to know over the years. And it just, it breaks my heart when you Google dismembered Calgary, that's her name comes up. And that that's not, that should not be her legacy. And yet that's the way the media is here. And that's the way Canada is okay with. And you know, I think he got 18 months with already time served kind of, you know, um, sentencing. 
so I, I, I just, I, I'm just sick at the, you know, loss of life against our people and nobody cares. I lived in a, in a community where Colton Crowshoe was murdered and the Calgary police wouldn't even look into it for three weeks because it was stampede. And, um, you know, they, they just didn't have energy and space for that at that time. And, and I just will never under, never forget that a little boy and his two grandparents were on the front of the Calgary Sun every single day, wondering where they were, but we couldn't get um, Colton Crochet's picture up beside them. And, uh, you know, these are things that have impacted my daughter. She will never feel safe um, the way she's witnessed police handling all of this, you know, um, and the way they speak to our people. Um, I was out in Estonia and I've seen this literally RCMP MMIW liaison speaking down to our elders like I wanted to punch her in the face. And because she's, uh, you know, disconnected Métis, she gets away with it. And it, it's just, it's, this is disgusting how this world is working and there's no real investigations into the RCMP. And if I had my way, we would disband it immediately because they don't, like, I, I think it's a settler proverb, the RCMP are investigating, they'll investigate something until that case goes like to, through generations of RCMP and never get properly uh, looked at. So unless, unless it's something that benefits them directly, but like I ran in 2017 and they still haven't investigated the leadership of Jason Kenney and they never will. He'll be long gone and retired from from politics before they lift a finger on that file. You know, it, it, it's, have to get through Harper. I think you got some trouble there. <laughs> so ridiculous. Let me tell you, I, I don't even anyway, back to children, back to children, back to children and the way uh, they should be treated. And what can people do to help aid what you're both working on? Thanks for that question. <laughs> um, we've, we've given this a lot of thought. And um, one of the things that, that lots of different things, but this social norms approach, I think is really important. And um, in, in my discipline, in, in my research at, at Brock, we, I, talk, I look a lot at social norms theory. And this is an approach that, sorry about this, sorry to bring theory into it, <laughs> get eye rolls. Um, it's, it's, it assumes that people have like mistaken perceptions about how prevalent something is. And it's like, oh, everybody's doing it, so it's okay, right? And it's been used a lot to address like binge drinking on university campuses or to say, actually, this is not normal. And people think it is. So it denormalizes things that are not normal. and. The idea that it's no, that corporal punishment is a normal, legitimate, even godly in quotation marks for listeners who can't see us, um, part of the parenting toolbox is not normal. <laughs> and so one of the things that we try to do or we're trying to do, and honestly, I thought when I started in this work 10 years ago, I thought, oh, six months. And our, our colleagues have been working on it for decades. And this is, I cannot believe how long this is taking. But to try to say, um, use the social norms approach to say, no, everyone is not doing it. And the theory says that then the social tolerance goes down. So um, I'll give you one example. Like we love to do something that I fondly call the timeline of shame. And so, and, and to, 
tell people, anyone who will listen to me, I'm very awkward at dinner parties. <laughs> in 1979, um, so before this, people in Canada were saying like, violence against children is wrong. We shouldn't allow corporal punishment. It's abuse. It's not parenting. It's not discipline, it's abuse. So in 1979, Sweden prohibits all corporal punishment. And um, we actually have the flags up in my office of all the countries that have done this. So that's 1979, wow. 1983, Finland joins, 1989, Austria does it, 1999, Croatia, in 2005, Hungary, um, then Germany, South Sudan, Argentina, Bolivia. I'm, I've got this in a presentation I give sometimes. 2007, New Zealand, Portugal, Uruguay. In 2015, Benin, Ireland, Peru. In 2017, Lithuania, Mongolia, Pontecorino, Paraguay, Slovenia. In 2018, Nepal. Like all these countries are legally prohibiting corporal punishment in all situations because they value the dignity and health and well-being of all children. So I'm going to keep going. 2019, Georgia, South Africa, France, Republic of Kosovo, 2020, Japan, Seychelles, and Guinea join it. And 2021, Republic of Korea, it just came into effect in Wales this month, the law that they passed in 2020. So now there's this great public service announcement. One of my colleagues from the UK showed me that, that says it is now no longer legal to hit your children. But in Canada, like, what are we doing? Like globally, 63 countries have fully prohibited corporal punishment, plus Scotland and Wales, don't, which, don't, which are counted as the UK. 27 more countries have fully committed to doing so and it hasn't gone through yet. Canada is not on the radar. We're not on the list. We're still in our colonial mindset of, no, this is a, a parent's right as if um, children are property, right? Or it's, this is normal and it's socially normalized. And this is not normal, it's bullshit. Like children have rights, they have dignity, they are valued citizens and human beings. They have a right to flourish. They have a right to be respected. And so we wanna use, one thing we wanna do is use social norms approach to embarrass the heck out of Canada, to say, uh -huh. come on, come on. This is, um, all the evidence is here. The human rights argument is here. This is an act of reconciliation and People sometimes say, oh, this is so hard, or we're multicultural, it makes this harder. That list is a multicultural list. Mm. So, and yet, honestly, like, we're, we're still globally, like we're laggards on this. So that's, that's, I think, one thing we can do is take a normal, a social norms approach and tell anyone who can listen to us that this is normal in Canada and it's not normal. And our children, children are wonderful vocal advocates. Um, you know, um, Autumn Pelche is a water protector and no one around the world. Children are amazing, but they should not have to advocate to be protected from violence. This is a, like, I don't really have a responsibility here. And with COVID, all kinds of new complexities mm -hmm. have an, and uh, invisible violence in the homes has become uh, one of the mm -hmm. hidden pandemics going on during COVID, right? Because now children are more exposed to violence in the homes that's socially normalized than even before and less 
able to access the resources outside the home that might be able to protect them. So that's one thing we do is to try to change the culture that has normalized this. And that's why um, Michelle, I was so grateful for this invitation um, to be able to talk about this because sometimes people say, what? That's the messed up. This is Canada really and, and help us spread the message because I think the only way this law is gonna change is if the people in power stop being afraid to make the change. And what are they happen. afraid of? Like what? what afraid? Like, like, like I do a lot of political spin doctoring just to try to make sense, like just to <laughs> literally laugh at the reality. And I, I'm like, you can't spin this. Like, how do you, how do you spin even in a joking manner? Like, I, how, what is stopping you from saying, hey, it's not okay to hit your kid. Let's change the law. Like, I, I cannot wrap my brain around that. So with the deepest respect to all of our leaders, I can only picture them as wife, child beating jerks. To have been <laughs> all spanked. of them. Because to have been not, spanked. No, I'm okay. Yeah. You know, right? And, and that's, that's still the mentality here. Um, and you see it all the time in the comments of people saying exactly what you just said. I was spanked and look at me. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I'm I think you just made the case why we should definitely change the law then, dude. <laughs> right. <laughs> Valerie, thank, thank you for that. for that song of nations, by the way. Oh I, my gosh. I got so fuzzy <laughs> about hearing all the countries that are protecting the millions and millions of children. And I think you're right, right? We need to call Canada out on this. I mean, we call ourselves developed. We're a pathway state to the UNCRC. Like we are on the books saying we support this yet on the books means what we're not actually implementing the laws and legislation regulation bylaws to protect kids um, i think it's important that we recognize in canada we do put parental rights ahead of children's rights and i don't even think actually we recognize children's rights yet in our policies and programming and especially in service delivery it is still framed in a behaviorist approach which is a, a you know western european um uh, model. And so we could have long conversations about that, as well as I want to just touch on too, you mentioned the pandemic and the invisible violence that's happening with homes, the increase in substance use and kids are 15 times more re child maltreatment reports are happening during the pandemic. Kids are at risk when parents are under stress. So what can we do about this? We need to look at the systems of oppression around parents and recognize that right now to parent effectively, we have parents that need two jobs. We need, you know, we're recognizing that parents grew up in a world of punishment and violence. So inherently that's what the instinct and reaction is, right? To use violence to teach. So we need legislation that helps um, the federal government be accountable to teaching how to break these cycles and supporting systems that do that, breaking down bureaucracies that support old colonial programming. And also, um, like Valerie said, I think Canadians are apathetic. We live in a really privileged place. We know that. So, you know, it's difficult to get people out to just vote, never mind to stand up around something so sensitive as violence, since we all grew up this way. This subject in particular, I find really um, intimate. Um, although kids would advocate, I don't like being hit, right? How do we get children on board with this? And it is their right to participate in these conversations. And how do we do that when we have their parents who are, you know, questioning how this all looks, 
So for me, I'm with you both. Like we need to get out there. We need to make noise. We need to talk about section 43. People need to have this on their bumper stickers. They need to recognize right now in Canada that it is legal to assault children reasonably. If we want to look at that legal word, I think it's a podcast. <laughs> because it's a reasonable word. way of assaulting. Right. <laughs> and we need to help parents and have compassion for those that are still working through how to parent safely and effectively. Um, and also, I think we need to recognize in every part of our legal system, legislation, regulation, policy from community level all the way to federal level, children's rights come first mm -hmm. above every bit of money we make, above everything. And until we get there, maybe not in my time, maybe my you know, five generations behind me, but it's this work right now. And, and, and I really do want to honor the TRC for calling that out because it's this work right now and taking care of our kids that really is going to make, you know, hope for our planet. And I, I believe it affects climate change and everything. So that's my spiel. How do we do it? We make noise mm -hmm. and we look at the countries that have done it and we ask them how they did it and what's happening now and what can we learn from everybody. Mm -hmm. um, we need storytellers. Um, those of us that have lived through violence as children, we need to talk more about it and we need to collaborate. And like George Zimmerman told me, we need to find the helpers mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, it's mm -hmm. tough work and it's so worth it. Yeah, it is. It is tough work, but at the end of the day, like we, we have to get this done. Like, you know, we've been, I, I work a lot with folks who talk about violence against, uh, indigenous women and, you know, the need for shelters, et cetera. And it's like, you know, I, I agree we need shelters, but I also agree that we, you know, hit the root cause of what is causing the violence that you have to flee, um, you know, and, and we're not there yet. And, and I have intergenerational um, on both sides of like, you know, uh, disciplining, or I, I shouldn't have even used that term of, of hitting children, you know, like mm -hmm. two sides of it, it comes down to that. And uh, again, thanks Indian residential schools uh, for teaching that, but then the settler side of my, my family, it was the same thing. Um, and, and, and that's, I, I think that's, um, and I would be doing a disservice to not bring up folks with disabilities. Um, mm -hmm. Been really blessed to have folks in my life that identify as having autism or having ADHD. And they were telling me horrific stories of what is now the so-called norm of how to raise children with autism. And yet it's like causing trauma. So they're, now that they're adults, they're advocating against the very techniques that were used um, on them as children. And, and, and I just, I, I'm just trying to wrap my head around like those children with fetal alcohol syndrome disorder and who are not being properly, um, you know, given the tools they need when, as they're growing up. And, and I just, I just feel sick. I feel sick thinking about what we all normalize as okay. And I, I can't wrap my head around it. We were discussing earlier the concept of a Jordan's principle, why it's completely unnecessary. Um, but we, of course we have to do it in order to start moving this um, forward. And I thought you'd find it funny on a side note. Um, I was with some friends of mine that were all indigenous and we were laughing because we were talking about the possibility of having, you know, um, national uh, dental 
And we were laughing because it's like, you know, there's no way white people would deal with the way we have to deal with it because we get really inadequate dental health. And so we were joking, like, I don't think they're going to like pliers being distributed nationally as, you know, like, and we were laughing because they're like, no, no way white people will put up. <laughs> we we're laughing because we're hoping maybe, maybe all of us will actually get really good dental care <laughs> as opposed to the absolute substandard to the point where it's so traumatizing that we would rather have all our teeth fall out or have health issues than dealing with racism within the dental care or the healthcare system, right? So. <laughs> oh my goodness. There's so many things I want to talk about. Like we need like five more yeah, hours. Five I want to, more hours. Yeah. I want to come back and talk about the health system. And <laughs> can well, I add, like, yeah. and what, yeah, one thing I, I want to make sure that I, yeah, yeah. What, sorry, is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. You really made me think, um, it keeps coming back in my mind what you said at the very beginning, Michelle, Indigenous people have done their work mm -hmm. and they've done their work with the TRC, mm -hmm. opening up this history so that there is no excuse not to know. But they've also done their work in demonstrating the strengths of Indigenous mm -hmm. traditional knowledges and Indigenous communities and traditional parenting and the strengths and resiliencies of their communities. And, um, and giving us the calls or providing the calls to action as a starting place. And I, don't, yeah. I, I in no way see this as a list, like check it off and okay, we're done reconciliation, right? That's not what I mean. But as a sense of a way in to enter into reconciliation. And I, I know I keep talking about Senator Sinclair, when he was a senator. Um, could I read you his quote that he gave to the Senate? Um, this is the moment, one of the moments that, that I, Senator Sinclair often would say, reconciliation involves all of us. It's the work of all of us. And it, it was such an invitation in from my position as a colonizer. And, and you know, lots of people have like history or, they're immigrants or it was I I have a lovely thoroughbred like colonizer legacy so I, I was grateful for that invitation as an entry point right here is a way in from to to think about this and to actually put action behind it and so my action has been to take on the normalization of violence so Senator Sinclair wrote we agree that children need to be protected from strangers why do we think therefore that they do not need to be protected from their own parents or teachers or guardians or from foster parents or social workers or jail guards? The fact is that they do. It is up to us as grandfathers and grandmothers, as aunties and uncles, and as the guardians of wisdom in this society to do this by amending this law. And he wrote, he said that to the Senate as he was bringing Bill S-206 forward and which did not pass. And so still we have no action, but that's always stuck with me. Um, the fact is we do, and it's up to us. And then in, in the, Joan uh, Durant and I tried to, we wrote a book for, um, it was not a book for indigenous people. I'm not recommending it. We were trying to draw our own ancestors on board to say, we, are we have to take responsibility for this. Call to action six is a call to action for the government of Canada, but we think also it needs to be held by churches, religious groups, mm. and others who have socially normalized violence. So we wrote a book for them called Decolonizing Discipline to say, take responsibility for this. And we start with a quote from 
Justice Murray Sinclair, Chief of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And he writes, the road we travel is equal in importance to the destination we seek. There are no shortcuts. When it comes to truth and reconciliation, we are all forced to go the distance. So I have that up on my computer to try to keep me focused and grounded that this is a long journey and there are no shortcuts, but we can do surface level reconciliation. We can apologize, we can do like, put up cultural posters, like, like we you know all kinds of like things, right? But can we make changes to Canada at a structural level? And that's um, the tremendous leadership by Indigenous peoples in doing that. Um, Cindy Blackstock, Murray Sinclair, and the invitation for those of us from different positions to get in on this work has um, been very, very meaningful to me and to have a chance to to talk about this and to hear your thoughts about it, Michelle. I'm just, I'm really grateful for that. Oh, me too. I'm honored that you're both here. So Danielle, do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to impart? I do actually. And I just want to highlight um, Valerie Michelson is a hero of mine. So to be able to work with Valerie, I know she's going like this, shaking her head <laughs> and all the things, but um, I, I am just so inspired um, by her work. And I just would like to quote Dr. Valerie Michelson. Um, the repeal of Section 43 will be a tangible symbol of our willingness to take up the challenge of creating a society in which all children are protected. Creating a childhood that is free from violence is a first step toward what is our moral imperative and what must be our fundamental goal. So I think that that is, this book um, is, has been a life changer for me in my work on looking at discipline and punishment, but also around the conversation. So Thank you so much, Michelle. Um, I think, you know, I always say um, those that are helping kids are heroes of mine. So both of you really, truly heroes. Right. And, and we all agree we worship Dr. Cindy Blackstock. Um, yes. You know, I'm not one for worship, like in the sense yeah. that um, we're all, you know, fangirling all the way here. Right. Yeah. We're and all the most humble people. And nobody should be like on the top uh, pedestal. But in her but, case, like she she has worked for over a decade on this, where okay, on, yeah. on a legal case, she's worked her entire mm -hmm. life on this, but on a legal case alone, that uh, that's helping so many, many children, you know, and I just want to absolutely give my deepest respect to, okay. to her, but also to both of you for understanding the gravity of this. And I think the, um, you know, to kind of encapsulate your quote that you talked about, um, uh, Marie Sinclair, you know, that, that bigger picture that this doesn't just help Indigenous people, mm -hmm. this helps all of us. And I, I try to emphasize that about reconciliation, that, you know, it's about um, settlers and, and colonizers learning and growing by incorporating Indigenous knowledge. And mm -hmm. then all of the things that we're saying, let's incorporate, benefit all our children, not just Indigenous children, but everybody. And, and it, it's just a real shame to have people pushing back on this. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, you talked about the role of the churches. I mean, I was just recently attacked by the, the one organization that's supposed to be working on reconciliation calling me racist. And it's like, it is so normalized in these churches to actually perpetuate that type of violence on people and and it was for everyone to see and all those so-called allies that just stood by and allowed it you know i've never heard again from this organization and it, it just shows that it 
their concept of reconciliation is so superficial mm -hmm. and we need action and we need action not just for our kids but for the entire society it would improve everybody so I, I just I can't thank you both for the work you're doing and continue to do and I, I so appreciate you both being on my podcast and you know as you you both do this work if you have new um initiatives that you're working on let me know so I can promote it because I just think it's important again like reconciliation is about coming together and I feel like okay I have two new more allies here that I can work with as opposed to some of the other you know folks who, who just don't want to get this so um, and I'm a big believer like you don't work with people who are committed to misunderstanding you only work with people who who understand it and we can move forward mm -hmm. together um, so so I thank you both again for being on my show Michelle thank you deep respect for your work Oh, thank uh, you both. Thank you. All right. Well, I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety training and cultural first aid in all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, those with disabilities, and LGBTQ2 to speak. I want to say thank you to Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin for creating heretohelp.bc.ca. What is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it? Now there are many other articles that can work on that or that um, that speak about it, elaborate on it. But their work is those cultural action tools that I've said hundreds of times in my podcast. So please support Indigenous work like that as part of your reconciliation work and settler understandings. I'm just lucky enough to repeat and highlight them here, just like my guests. Um, internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized um, folks experience by the structure of oppression imposed on these lands. RacialEquityTools.org um, by Donna Bevins, what is internalized racism, can maybe get all of us down that road of understanding why it is we are so problematic to each other. Um, AFSC.org is the American Friends Service Committee, and they have a do's and don'ts for bystander intervention. And this is to help um, folks who are experiencing violence against them, you know, on the C train for wearing a hijab or, or a ribbon skirt. These are things that you can you can do. Um, Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing them in, in reports, commissions, and public hearings just so it can be regularly disregarded and no more. Honor the words, honor the treaties, listen to politicians in their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized with their uh, budget, with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, a lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities, Know that your vote to that party or individual is going to directly negatively impact marginalized people. Mm -hmm. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports on child welfare reform and violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, two-spirit and transgendered, and I can't emphasize this enough, as yesterday was the International Day for Trans Visibility. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational and health institutions, uh, the justice institution with multiple reports that say the same thing, demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. 
should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, church groups, sports clubs, etc. Um, another article that is a really great one I recommend is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. But if you were to Google um, how non-Indigenous can, Canadians can become allies, you'll actually find multiple um, articles now. Today is a really important date. Today is April 1st. And normally I look forward to going onto social media because of people's silly jokes. Today is a really hard day for our Indian residential school survivors and Indigenous that have had to deal with the ramifications of poor policy for, inner, for generations now. Um, because of this, our trauma is raw. And I'm sad to report we're seeing trolls already replying to a lot of these comments. So if you legitimately call yourself an ally, if you're not reporting these folks, I, I, you're not my ally, that's for sure. But if you're Indigenous and you're experiencing emotional distress after what the Pope, the Vatican has said today, and our, our delegation that went over to Rome, or maybe some of, something else that you heard today on the podcast, there's many reasons why you might feel really upset. I feel sick to my stomach today. And um, as I, that's ironic. I thought today would be a good day. Um, anyway, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Help for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll free, open seven days a week, 24 seven. Um, you can also go to their website at hopeforwellness.ca. They have a little text box in there if that is something that works better for your, um, just for you in general. For missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit emo immediate emotional assistance, you can call 844-413-6649. And it's also national and toll-free. If you're non-Indigenous, there's almost always a distress center local to your area or a functioning 211. But if you are still feeling upset and you don't have services to that, you can call 833-456-4566. In Alberta, there's a 60 Scoop Indigenous Society. So SSISA.ca. And if you see or experience racism, you can report it at Act to End Racism or text at 18, or sorry, 1587-507-3838. The Trevor Project has many resources for LGBTQ2+. You can go to lifevoice.ca and find a ton of different resources for them as well. But it's important because someone is straight insists, I can't necessarily validate what it's like to be experiencing body um, uh, dysphoria and other, other things. I, I experience sexism, I experience racism, but I don't experience homophobia and transphobia. And um, today, out of all days, after a full day of trans visibility, I know there's equally amount of hate uh, comments that are all over. So again, if you see yourself as an ally, you know, now's your time to report those comments and for those media organizations and for other um, groups like why you're allowing this is exactly the whole topic of what we talked about today. Quit with this violence against people and especially our LGBTQ2 plus youth. Violence is our everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it 
That's why I started this podcast to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinions. I sure want to tell us theirs, even though they may not know anything about oppression, colonialism, the constant surveillance of our people, our protests, our vigils, our rights. They don't know what microaggressions are uh, or people dealing with internalized racism. So internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. Well, but I do want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, of what strength looks like through their example, my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her, I'm a second generation proud Calgarian, and I highly recommend that you never identify yourself as a native, whatever your city is, because if you're not native, you shouldn't be saying that. And I literally heard it on the CBC the other day, every guest who was non-Indigenous identified as a native Calgarian. And I was snickering to myself, like, and ironically, one of them is like, the expert on diversity and inclusion and equity here in the city and I was just laughing I'm like this is the best we got folks <laughs> anyway thank you to Darcy for producing and editing the show on top of being my husband my childhood friend he is the father of our child and he has supported me in my journey of the red road witnessing decades of racism and sexism to our child who we are blessed to learn from daily I am honored you chose us you give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us discussing these present day issues. My uh, Patreon account is Native Calgarian. We can pledge and support. Thank you previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. You can send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel where you can subscribe, go to nativecalgary.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And again, if you're on my native YYC Insta, it's been hacked, please, please don't. And well, I don't know why I have to tell people this, report it, block it. I, I can't believe it. So, and tell others to do the same. Um, but I do wanna end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. My beautiful Denny cousin responded, or you'd be in my dish. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening.